Hello, welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. I'm Russell Brand. Today I spoke with Tim Minchin. Do you know who Tim Minchin is? He's the Australian comedian, actor, writer, musician and songwriter. You'll probably know him from his fantastic musical, Matilda, which won a bunch of awards, including an Olivier, was nominated for a Grammy. It was an amazing musical. I've seen it twice, maybe even three times. Uh, his musical Groundhog Day also won awards. His new album, Apart Together, will be released on Friday the 20th of November. Apart Together. I like that. It's a nice name for an album about this time. And Tim Minchin is very, very beautiful. Like all, like he started with sort of comedy parody songs, right? And I think that most people that do those things well, it's almost it's just a good song anyway. Like the Concords, or who else is it that I think about with that? Oh, like Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Like their songs are just really good anyway. Hey, so um, you'll like you'll love this conversation. We talk about atheism. We talk about spirituality. It's quite intense. There's points of it where it's a little wordy i would say but also there's a, i would hope a sense of fraternity and warmth because certainly that's what i feel for him i think he's a incredibly accomplished and beautiful person here's some comments from a previous podcast which i say to you i suppose to encourage you to listen to other podcasts of mine obviously and uh i suppose i don't know it's like i'm boosting myself up this one's from the yanis varifakis podcast did you enjoy that jen yeah i like yanis why He's very grounded mm. and direct. Do you see him as a sort of <clears throat> shaven-headed uncle? No. Why? I don't. He doesn't remind me of my uncle. He doesn't want to remind <laughs> you of an uncle, but imagine putting him in as a new uncle. He'd be a good uncle. Imagine there's transfer market <laughs> for uncles, and you could just buy oh. in. Right, we're going to boost the uncle. The uncle position is not well enough supported. I'd get Yanis Varoufakis right in there as an yeah. uncle. Just imagine you have great chats with him. He's teaching you about politics. He's respectful of your views. He's sort of strong, but he can take a joke. I mean, this is everything you want from an uncle, isn't it? Yeah, he's a good one. <laughs> Although, for you, perhaps, he's a sexy uncle. <laughs> Why, because he's older? Maybe. <laughs> How old is he? Every uncle's older, unless it's one of them families. <laughs> no, not all. No, that's right. I'm going on to them. I'm going on to them guys where your dad then has another baby and you're a little tiny uncle. <laughs> Who's this little tiny uncle? This little tiny uncle Tim? No, no, no. I can't have that. It's no well, good. You were quite enamoured by Yannis the first time. I've always loved him. Because I think we were intimidated by him. Was we? I was. I wasn't. I don't get intimidated. I won't have it. You were trying to stall him because we might have been. I tell you who I'd be late. intimidated. I get intimidated by like Huron Gracie. No. Why not? He's cute. He is cute. Have you seen him? You know Huron? Did you come that time when he came to our BJJ club in Marlow? I went to a different club and saw <coughs> him there. Where? Watford. Um, Henley. I'm talking to Demire now. You saw him at that one. He went to that one in Henley. He did. What a stab in the back from Hiron. Yeah. Did he? Yeah, he did. What was he like? He was amazing. I mean, isn't he amazing? He showed, he showed me how to choke. Well, cross-collar choke? Yeah. That's what it looked like he was miming. <laughs> yeah. I love Hiron. I love his wife, Victoria, and I like to think that maybe they're listening to this now and glowing with this proof and appraise, approval and appraisal that I'm showering upon him. Anyway, uh, so he would be a cousin or maybe a brother in my family transfer market. <laughs> it's my new game... <laughs> Family transfers. No, <clears throat> you don't offend your actual family. Like, Why would he be family? sorry, Dad, we're selling you. We're the, <laughs> we're using you as a make weight in a transfer deal to bring in new Dad. Uh, who would we want? Stephen as a... Tyler. <laughs> 
you think Steven Tyler's going to be very responsible? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's just clean now, isn't he? So maybe he yeah. will. But I wouldn't ship out Ron Brand for Steve Tyler. I think you've got to be loyal <laughs> to the actual mum and dad. This is much more... Because un- uncles, you can bring in as many as you want, couldn't you? Yeah. Have as many uncles, cousins, no problem. Me, I've got no uh, brothers or sisters. I can oh. purchase... So why, why don't you want a brother or a sister? Why did you say cousin? I don't want them that close and I don't want them sharing my mum. <laughs> it's got to be some boundaries. I'd, I'd tell you I would ship in as a brother, Tim Minchin. Yeah. I'd transfer Tim Minchin in. I'd be, it'd be a big fee. No, you guys would fight it'd be all a the big time. F- there would be a lot of conflict at Christmas, which I'd be taking very seriously and literally. This is about our you Lord. Think it would ruin Christmas. Christ. He's come again. I uh, know there's no such thing as a Jesus. It's all been made up. You fuck you! You guys would ruin Christmas. I wouldn't. Yeah, you would. How can I ruin Christmas when I'm the new Jesus? I've given it a new meaning. I've given it a boost. I bought it back, brother. No. 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 Well, anyway, my new game, Family Transfers, I think uh, it's going to really catch on. Podcast guests. What about female ones? What am I buying in there? There's no incest, is there? Cousins. Females and uh, cousins and sisters. Aunties. Aunties, I tell you why. Because I don't. Uh, mm, maybe I shouldn't go into this. But I suppose <laughs> I suppose I've. Mm, yeah. Okay, aunties, uh, female cousins, and sisters. Right. Uh, uh, hello. I don't know. Maybe I've been subject to the wrong sort of conditioning and programming. But why can't though, they but, be related to you? Huh? Why can't they be related? Who like? Auntie Naomi Klein. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, she'd be no, good. That'd be great. Although she's also very beautiful. I remember Elizabeth first... Gilbert. She'd be oh, a good well, big sister. Big sister Liz Gilbert. <laughs> oh no, I don't. Think that, that wouldn't work. Why? Julia Cameron. Auntie Julia Cameron. Yeah, yeah, I'd love Would Auntie not Julia. Be, like grandmother. That's what I was thinking actually. Grandmother Julia Cameron. Oh, <laughs> nanny, nanny <laughs> Julia's coming over to help us with the artist's way. Auntie Naomi's teaching us about the environment. And Sister Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> I can I bring in Sister... All right, Sister Liz. Who else have I done? Like, because I have like got lots of female friendships that I think are quite boundaried and respectful, aren't they? Yeah. There you go, then. So that's a kind of sisterhood. Except <laughs> so I'm not a sister, of course, because no. I'm a man. You're the big brother. All right. Like big brother from Orwell. An no. omniscient... No. Powerful, no evil force. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't. He wasn't really nice, was he? Big brother in ninety four. He wasn't very really nice to all the people there, was he? He might even have been a construct. We don't even know if he was really there, but he was sort of Stalin, I suppose, wasn't he? All right, look, let's not get bogged down in any of that. This ain't about family transfers. This ain't about any of that. This is about Tim Minchin, my brother, my transferred in brother. You know what to do. Sign up to my mailing list, russellbrand.com. Also, I do these Zoom calls where we raise money for various different charities. So sign up for that mailing list and follow me on social media should you decide to do so. Even though lately, I, as you know, I've been thinking that we need to strongly regulate our use of social media because it's ruining our lives. And remember, we're doing this new episode, 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 take a chance, take a chance, called Ask Me Anything, where essentially you interview me. Don't be shy. You can leave any question you want for me on go to russellbrand.com forward slash ask me anything. Now let's get on to Tim Minchin, my transferred in brother 
my ideological and philosophical opponent, great songwriter, great creator. And uh, remember, his new album, Apart Together, is out on the 20th of November. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Thanks for coming on Under the Skin, Tim. I've wanted to talk to you for ages. Yeah, I've wanted to talk to you for ages. I'm really pleased. And can I uh, confess something? Tell me. I've, I'm, I'll, we'll talk about it more, but I'm in Perth at the moment and there's a lot of drama and family stuff and um, I'm trying to do press and all that. And so the way I manage that is to not think ahead too much. I just make sure the person helping me out has everything in the diary. So I've been thinking one day, I hope I get to talk to Russell on one of his podcasts. And I didn't know till two minutes to six. I went, what's this next one? Someone doing things? Ah, it's Russell. So I'm really happy to see you. Oh, I'm happy and not surprised because it was in my diary. I was asked, do you want to talk to Tim Minchin? I've said for a long time, I'd love to talk to Tim Minchin. Quite recently, in fact, I listened to your uh, Desert Island Discs that you did, I guess, yeah, eight years ago, I think. And and um, also, we listened to Matilda s- sort of the same way we listened to the Rolling Stones or Massive Attack. It's just sort of crops up on playlists for us. I see it as, you know, it's my exile on Main Street. <laughs> <laughs> as well as your entrance to it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's right. I guess that's true. Very good. See, yeah. we're gonna, I have to lift my game if you're going <laughs> to. So it you're was in my entrance to the Main Street. It's where you're in Perth, where you're from. You, well, the first time I saw you, you were in Edinburgh doing, I, I guess that would have been your show, Dark Side. Or maybe it was an even an earlier show than that. I, I'm not sure. But I remember thinking that you were fantastic. It was the time when you were doing that song, You Don't Eat Pigs, We Don't Eat Pigs, Let's Not Eat Pigs Together. It was a lovely, harmonious song. What do you, like, during the time that you've um, become successful, achieved mainstream successes, we've just tagged what do you how do you uh what has been your relationship with mainstream media and culture how has it altered like this rather sort of beautiful convivial optimistic song about the sort of futility of theological uh, fragmentation or sectarian opposition all the way to where we are now where how do you how have you tracked that god that's a big question i mean i um, I guess there's a couple of sort of strands to the answer. One is how the, the, the way popular culture and media has changed has altered what I think my role is to the extent that being an artist is a job. Um, you know, apart from just my role is to make a living and have fun. But in terms of when you do get a wide audience, and I know you feel this keenly, not everyone, but most people, once they have a, a wide audience or a platform or a loud microphone, starts to think deeply about uh, what to do with it. What's ethical? What's the, what is both entertaining and, and a good thing to do with that platform? And as the media landscape changed, my feelings about what was a good thing to do with the platform 
have changed. Yeah, they must have done. And that's that fascinates me because that point of sort of almost like speaking personally of almost crisis that's induced by recognizing you have this system of amplification and and you're existing in a landscape where the stuff that's being said is dubious and mostly commercially motivated like to recognize oh, okay I, ha I have this position but in the last two years three years in particular the role of a public orator or public spokesperson is all uh, has changed in ways that it's quite difficult to keep up with i think yeah and it's it's really complicated it's complicated also by the permanence of everything you say and it's complicated by um, the rise of public shaming as a mechanism of change, which I say without judgment, although I have judgments about it, but whether or not you think it's a good mechanism for change or not, uh, it is a true mechanism for change. And uh, as a person of privilege, whether by privilege you mean maleness or whiteness or cisgenderedness or, uh, or heterosexuality, but most keenly, having an amplification system, as you say, having a voice is the greatest of those privileges, I think. You, 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 it would be foolish of me to not recognise that me being a, a proddy polemicist, uh, trying to mock the inconsistencies of people's beliefs, whilst my beliefs haven't changed, I understand that that's not the best thing I can do in the world. And much more than that, and I'm not sure if, if you relate to this because I don't, I don't think you were ever a polemicist. You, were, you had similar uh, pace of rant, but your rants weren't as eviscerating, I guess. Um, but as a polemicist watching Twitter come into the world and turn the entire world into a just endless polemic, I went, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. So although since then I've said some agitating things, I only say agitating things or I try to only say agitating things when I think I have a way to put this that I don't think anyone else has put it. And I think it's worth me doing it because it will make change. So I've stopped just saying things because I think them, because I think it's tearing the world apart that everyone's just going, I have a feeling and I'm going to say it as angrily as I can on the internet. And I've started saying, well, how do I put good ideas into the world that actually make people feel good? Um, which is not backing away from the, the authenticity of my beliefs, but, but it's just trying to fill a space that needs filling instead of just being another shouting voice. Yeah, I mean, I can see that as the sort of a significant part of the collaborative creation of something as successful and as undeniably brilliant as Matilda you must get a great deal of satisfaction from operating in a kind of a chamber of creativity that is free from that kind of critique rather than your stage shows where you're doing stand-up between your songs and is and opining and and therefore are subject subjected to that kind of stuff when I listen to I heard, when I was listening to that um, Desert Island Disc thing, which I was just listening to before I knew you were coming on because I enjoy listening to you, I was struck by the, or I don't want to say somewhere between power, comfort and authority that you seem to get and transmit from your rationalism, which uh, I, I see is 
and correct me if I'm wrong, being sort of connected to your atheism and the, the sort of beautiful relationship you described in that podcast with your older brother and a kind of a, a love of music and a love of art and a willingness to explore sort of like you sort of spoke about um, religious, I think specifically Christian music and how that you could map that onto your own, not the definite, definitively not Christian beliefs quite comfortably. Um uh, how do, what is your relationship like with your own creativity and the, the mystery of that creativity uh, given your sort of de devout rationalism? Um, I think part of my rationalism allows for um, or, or, or calls for the wisdom of it, the, 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 the growth in it is that I think the journey is about becoming comfortable with discomfort. I actually, that's kind of what, um, well, Groundhog Day, this musical that I wrote with Danny Rubin, who wrote the movie, um, is really a meditation on how to live meaningfully in a meaningless universe, really, which I think is really now kind of what I'm talking about in my TV show and in Groundhog Day and even in my album, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to tell the story of a meaningless existence so that it's beautiful. I, I, I think meaning is in narratives, it's in the stories we tell ourselves. And I think religion is one story you can tell yourself, but I, I don't think you need to have myth to tell yourself a beautiful story about living fleetingly in this universe sort of thing. I, as for art, it, it uh, the question of how one creates and, and, as you say, the magic of that, and it does feel magical sometimes, although mostly it feels like extracting teeth. I, I feel like art is a bit like consciousness. Consciousness uh, doesn't particularly, to me, require an explanation beyond... I, I, I am comfortable sitting with consciousness is an emergent property of this extraordinarily complex neurology, which we don't quite understand yet. Uh, and any further hypotheses about what consciousness is or what inspiration is or stuff, uh, it interests me, but doesn't keep me up at night. I'm not, it's not something I'm pursuing, you know? I don't, I kind of mean, I, I don't think writing a song is particularly different from doing some nice plumbing. Possibly not, depending on the plumbing and the song. I mean, both need improvement in my own life. If a minute ago you saw me sort of uh, flip off to the side to uh, use a perhaps inappropriate colloquialism, it's because I hold this up when I think uh, someone has said something that we'll use as a quote to promote the show. And uh, the extracting teeth creativity was one. I didn't want you to think that I had either a peculiar twitch or a secret agenda. Fuck this guy! <laughs> Get me my floss. I can't talk dimension with this thing between my teeth. It's bothering me. Now, this um, idea, though, about sort of, there's obviously loads of things you said there that, uh, that really interest me. Um, because my assumption with the emergence of the new atheists and then sort of, uh, to, to forgive the term, celebrity kind of atheists yourself, Ricky, Gervais, etc., like was a kind of an anti establishment uh, motif that sort of was um, 
uh, or a movement that was important, an important way of atta attacking a lot of uh, entrenched ideas that are ultimately about domination, not about mystery, not about beauty, not about unity, not about togetherness. Where I dis uh, uh, where you and I have uh, distinct views or opposing views, I suppose, or different and not necessarily opposing, uh, like, um, like is that <laughs> I feel that consciousness, that the, that the idea that consciousness emerges from matter requires a, a, a the sort of precisely the same kind of faith that the, that the opposite view requires and the idea that there is no whilst I recognize that meaning is often a kind of confection because there is so multitudinous uh, the the presence of the universal in myth and theology whether that ultimately becomes about psychology or even you know hormones and neurology it yeah. Or neurology. Yeah. The it's, evolution it's, of our protein bridges. It's still a kind of language. It's still a kind of pattern. The other thing is, because I've had sort of... And it's difficult in a, a way to attribute a particular narrative to this and and have any sort of stance of objectivity around it i recognize that's sort of you know beyond me the limitations of that term yeah. all of us yeah i have experienced aspects of consciousness that are impersonal that are be be like where i have experienced awareness that is not russell both as a younger man with, with psychedelics and sort of more latterly through sort of yogic and breath based experience right so it's sort of like so I, I, the, for me the door is open and like like you know i can't know more than or less necessarily than anybody else about that my concern about the rationalist materialist post enlightenment view is that it leads to where we are now i would say the dominant ideology is not that there is this mystery and that we're all one and we're only experiencing a tiny fragment of reality due to the limitation of our senses and all scientific data that we receive necessarily is filtered through the limited senses even if it involves amplification of them and the disruption of the laws of physics thermodynamics at the sort of quantum level means that our objective understanding of reality is itself limited and liable to change the more we learn and i think when we remain open to those kind of ideas we remain open to changing society and i think a lot of the sort of post-structuralism post-modernity that we're experiencing lately in the sort of identitarian politics movement is about you know literally the deconstruction of power dynamics that have brought about tyranny, persecution, and uh, the arse end of it, genocide, and still now social disruption. And I think remaining open to this idea that we're experiencing a small part of reality, none of us know for sure what it is, but what there are certain universal emotions, i.e. love, you know, and of course the, the shadow of that. But that if we identify with that love and all of our right to love and the idea that this love is a kind of a longing for connection and perhaps even a longing for, for, for oneness, for union, which certainly... Uh, linguistically that seems to be the case when, when the word is analysed across cultures, across languages then it sort of presents us I think with a very optimistic world view or at least a hopeful world view um, so that's, yeah, that's I guess what I would want you to spend a few minutes chatting about well you, you said a lot of things there it's like, um, that's like yeah um, the, I mean Firstly, I agree that the new atheist movement was just another wave of iconoclasm trying to take power away from power structures that were damaging. So when we get to the end of what you were talking about there just then, we're going to talk, the, the, the kind of conclusion of this is 
uh, the world's a bit shit and we've ended up in this place and and what are we to attribute this uh, um, spiritual decay or this uh, loss of community and this uh, carelessness about species and the earth and the nuclear proliferation and uh, the emergence of AI that might destroy us and all this. So all this, all this stuff that you could call spiritual decay, if you like that word, I'm getting comfortable with it. The new atheism or the celebrity atheist that I, all I've ever done is criticised where, where what I perceive to be erroneous belief systems intersect with bigotry and prejudice. So with the exception of sort of the stuff that just logically disintegrates the idea that prayer has a causal relationship with outcomes in illness and stuff, which is simply explaining why people think that's the case, even though the data shows it's not the case, which is talking about confirmation bias and being clever, clever and talking fast. Have you ever met anyone like that? And, um, and then, and then but, but, but mostly it's about you can't use your religion to say you don't like the gays, you know, and that, that sort of thing. So my atheism is more about saying, if you want to have beliefs that are based on um, supernatural stuff, then that's fine. But if you want earthly results for your belief, if you want to assert that your supernatural interpretation of this ancient book has allows you to go into parliament and say, therefore, no abortions, then you have to prove the existence of God and you can't. So fuck off with your magic book. Right. So that's my eighth. Can I just step in at that point? Because what I feel about that, Tim, is that the, the key problem that you've identified there is more present in rationalism, materialism, and sort of neoliberalist politics than it is in any religious ideology in 2020. The, 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 it's not one or the other. You, you criticise all of it. You criticise erroneous belief across the Except board. One of those one of those ideologies is has no hope, I think, of delivering us a different type of society, and the other one does. Now, like, you know, with the extraction of what you've identified, with the extraction of, like, you know, I, I believe in Jesus or Mohammed buddha or whatever and therefore i've decided don't be gay like you know that's sort of like yeah that's children's problems but like but the, but what i feel is that if you look at if we were to sort of have a as best we can a kind of a, a data oriented approach to the problems of the world who is impoverished who is suffering and who benefits and why are these structures in place who is conserving preserving propagating these structures then we won't like at the, at the at the top of it won't be like a bunch of popes and ayatollahs. It's going to be people that believe in neoliberalist ideology. It's economic. The real fundamentalism, the real religion, is an economic one, and, and greed. Like, yes, which is, like is an emotion that we're of course all subject to. But like it, what I would say is, if like it, if we if the objective is change the world, if the objective is make people feel better, like we were discussing at the beginning of this podcast, or our target not be the thing that's most likely to bring about change ought we not be critiquing the thing that's most problematic and I would say, I'm not sort of saying oh, you, you, like, cause that's, as I say at the beginning of your career I think, I think during the time that you've been in the public eye the, the the sort of emphasis and focus has changed. I think it was a really worthy, worthwhile target. And of course, there are all sorts of people being caught, persecuted and condemned and suffering as a result of mad religious ideologies still. But I would say that the figure, it pales in comparison to who is suffering as a result of consumerism, capitalism, uh, the, the domination of the surveillance tech, etc. Yeah, I, I, I think 
what I, I think you and I would identify, you know, give or take a hundred books that you've read and I haven't, and maybe thirty that I've read and you haven't. We, we basically will think the same thing about any everything, right? And and a broader way to talk about this. I mean, you you, you can talk about the fact that you think consciousness being an emergent property of neurology requires faith equal and opposite to the idea that it was bestowed upon us by a, a, a spiritual being or something. No, that it existed anyway, panpsychism, that it's, an, it's, a, it's a pre-existing quality. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 that doesn't gel with me, but it kind of doesn't matter. I don't think which one of those, um, in, in this conversation, I don't think you and I are going to, you know, n- never be able to speak again in that, on that one. Um, Let's not know the origin of consciousness together. Need to know that, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, basically, the origin of consciousness is not known, and you can, uh, yes, uh, the, the, the leading neurologists in the world would say it doesn't require an explanation outside of neurology, and other people like, like you would say it does, and that's fine, and I'm very, very comfortable sitting with those opposing beliefs and I don't feel like I need to solve it to get on with being moral, you know? And what, what we're really talking about is wishing you and I that humans were more moral, probably. You, you, you define it as uh, spiritual or, um, and you, you talk about love as a sort of um, bigger idea than perhaps I talk about love. And I'd like to talk about that. I would like to hear more about that, but I don't think it re- I don't think that rationalism is the target you're looking for, just as I don't think religion as a whole is the target I'm looking for. I don't think religion has caused us to be where we are. I don't know how to explain where we are because I think there's a lot of good things about where we are, but I don't think religion has got us where we are and I don't think rationalism has got us where we are. What has got us where we are is... Um, selfishness and and moral compromise. Now, you can propose a solution, right? So I'm an atheist rationalist, right? I've made heaps of money. Um, I'm a white, powerful, privileged guy and all that. But I, um, I would rather die than skip out on any of my tax obligations. And I give a further 10% to charity and promote charities. And I'm, you know, I've I've had one partner my whole life and I'm kind to my kids. And so, so I, I don't know as a rationalist whether if you had a world full of me, you'd find you're in a worse position. I don't know, by the way, I'm a fucking asshole and shit, I suppose. I mean, I'm not holding myself up. I'm just saying I'm your normal kind of morally driven guy. I'm very interested in trying to live ethically on this planet. Um, and I fail in many ways. I'm, I'm not vegetarian, for example, and lots of, other, lots of other failures. But if you had a world full of rationalists whose rationalism led them down the path of an ethical self-examination like it has me, who spend their lives trying to tell stories that bring comfort to people, that hold a mirror up to people's grief and their, 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 their quest to find meaning in this universe. And then you had a bunch of people like you who say, who, who have touched God through um, uh, um, uh, lysergic acid dithylamide or magic mushrooms or whatever and, and have had other experiences and believe that love is the answer and that spirituality as a word is very important, whereas I go, oh, I'm not sure about that word. That sounds a bit connected to Jesus stuff. I don't think we would find any separation whatsoever in what 
obviously the world is incredibly complex and, and, and helping people all serve their own interests and their family's interests. It's, it, it's almost impossible to unpack, but I don't think my central philosophy that there is no meaning to the universe and that it's arbitrary and your central philosophy that we live in a web of meaning, get us any distance apart at all, except that we could have an interesting chat. Yes, I agree with that. I was just thinking, though, while you were talking, Tim, which uh, ideology is easier to create invisible hegemonies with? Because of the kind of overtness of religion and its sort of clumsy, cartoonish hierarchies and vivid, mysterious prophets, it's pretty easy to see, oh, right, this is a confectionery. Less easy to see like in the, like the, sort of the world that we arrive at now. I, so I suppose I use the word rationalism as an adjunct to materialism and materialism in its various meanings. I, I just stop you there and say, I don't think you should do that. That's your error. Your, or at least not your error. It's an objectionable leap. Because I understand I'm a materialist, but I'm not materialistic any more than your average... You know, I'm more materialistic than your average Buddhist monk. I appreciate that, but there, there, there is, there is a d direct correlation between those two terms. Is that in that materialism is underwritten by rationalism? This is what we can see. This is what we can observe. This is what we can calculate. This is how we live. That's how about a, that's... all the materialism of the, the faithful and the spiritual and those who believe in the afterlife and God and equally problematic. Except one of them isn't. Uh, I don't mean materialism, mate, as in fancy objects. I mean materialism as in no room at the table for the unknown. I had an interesting conversation on oh, here. No, but rationalism's with... all about all about room at the table for the. I recognise it's what my position is. Sure, but is it? I'm but comfortable the... with the unknown. I, I recognise that that's that's cool with me. Obviously, how can how can how can we not be? But like um, Yanis Varoufakis, the dude from Syriza, when he came on here, we had a, an excellent conversation. He also is an atheist, and uh, he says, you know, like I believe he said that um, spirit comes from material. You clearly believe that that believe that material come from spirit. But in any event, he said, spirit is here now. And whether we see that as a sort of a, um, a synonym for awareness, consciousness, uh, 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 emotional state. Go slowly, through this, go slowly through this for me because I, I'm keeping up with your train. But so spirit, this is for me the very centre of the conversation. What, what do you mean by it? Th those words were really helpful to me. I reckon, but what I mean by spirit... Because I think we probably feel very similar about that. I say, I say, and, you know, this is both my personal feeling, which I've arrived at through some discourse and study, that spirit is the state of awareness, the experiencer of the senses. A wonderful analogy that I heard recently was that if we were to describe the room that we were in, the, the separate rooms, but pretty bloody similar, let's face it, like that... Um, you know, we might describe ourselves as being in the room, the chairs, the works of art or whatever, the objects in the room. But what we might not describe is the space itself. The space itself, the awareness, who is the recipient of this phenomena? What is this point of attention that exists in me as actually when I'm in a dream state? And last night was a very vivid dream state. Uh, as vividly as, it, as when I'm in this world, what is this point of awareness that is receiving, refining, evaluating data and forming a kind of identity and perspective or, 
of reality on this basis. What I mean by spirit is an essential quality, an observer, a point of awareness that we cultivate and turn into a, a kind of small s self to use a kind of Jungian term, a sort of an egoic I'm Russell type guy. So that for me is who is experiencing the first layer of the material world from my perspective is my own identity, Russell. I am this person. I'm experiencing reality. I can drop behind that and remain aware. Um, of course, I recognize that, like, uh, I reckon, you know, obviously, just through the various disciplines and various forms of language that exist, we could describe the most mysterious and beautiful experiences that I've had neurologically. And I don't think that would strip them of any of their beauty. It would be no different from, you know, translating between French and English. But, but what I am saying is that... <laughs> This is what gets me, Tim, like from and, and it comes from like a actually from a scientific perspective, of course, a scientific perspective in the hands of a person who doesn't have those disciplines or that education is that we know that in the subatomic world, it, it travels so infinitely and bafflingly into such beautiful mystery. We know in the macrocosmic world, it's the best guess is it literally never, never, never ends. So any perspective that we formulate on the limited electromagnetic range of visibility that we have sec, uh, access to audible range that we have access to is by its nature limited by its nature a fragment and it seems that there are other things we intuit now i reckon it recognize it becomes either problematic superstitious or bloody downright tyrannical when people say i'm the interpreter yeah if when any individual says this is how it is and this is how it must be for you this i reckon you mean you have no problem at all there we clearly see that the same way i guess the reason i want to talk earnestly when i meet people i respect that have a different perspective to me is because i want to understand how we are going to mobilize real change when we accept the fundamental principles that dominate this world that this is it we're alive for a certain amount of time and 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 it's very difficult i think to mope i'm not saying you need god in order to be good i'm not saying that at all but it seems so that you people, need a story but yeah it seems people struggle yeah like you know like that yeah people seem to struggle to challenge their own pain their own greed these lower emotions that you that we, you and i again agree seem to be manifesting themselves in our systems and our civilization without a sort of sense that what's don't it's pointless to do this this isn't who you even really are and the way that we narrativize it i recognize don't matter even if we me and you lived in the same village and we were both mormons our conception of god and ultimate reality would be vastly different so that's where it is. And that's what I mean by spirit awareness, I guess. I haven't, I haven't, there's t I, I want, I want to have listened to you more in the last five years. I've listened to you quite a bit, but um, not, maybe not enough. And I want you to have listened to me in the last 10 years um, because I've written so much about this in a way, you know, and I, I, um, even in this record, I'm meant to be promoting and... No, you, we'll, at the beginning of the show, right? I'll go, Tim Minchin's coming up on the show. He's got a record. It's important. <laughs> it's good. I'll say all of those things. It's important to me because it's the next chapter in my exploration of uh, what, what it all means, you know, and it is what I've been doing for the last five years. But, um, uh, and I, what I don't... What I think we can agree on is that what people need to sign up to some shared premise and what 
I identify as problematic, apart from the massive structures and mostly there's huge problems all over the world, but the one we're most intimately acquainted with is America's cap style of unmitigated capitalism. Well, it's not unmitigated, but for, for us Poms and Aussies, it's grossly not mitigated enough by socialism. And, and we can have a whole conversation about whether capitalism can ever be a functional system and we're not going to have it because I don't have the expertise. But I have a sense that there is no perfect system. There's no perfect system for primates uh, or, or sapiens, but you, you propose that there's a better one that I can't quite get a handle on, but I basically think we agree. My problem is that I think one of our great problems in the last five years in a post-Trumpian, post-internet, post-Russian hacky world is that we no longer seem to be able to share any concept of truth. Now, maybe when we examine the fact that atoms are mostly space and that electrons are both there and not there at the same time and the macro and the subatomic are basically indistinguishable from magic as far as we can perceive it because we evolved in a three-dimensional space. What, when, once we've taken all that into account, maybe truth's smooth, maybe it's all relative. Maybe, you know, any science is just a patriarchal structure and, and so my belief's as good as yours. I reject that because I think that is gonna undo the world. I think if we could teach critical thinking and a bit more understanding what I like to call neuropsychological or psycho, neuropsychological humility, which is a phrase I stole, but neuropsychological humility. And I reckon you'd agree with this actually, because I think it could wrap into the way you're telling this story, which is when we're kids are in year eight or nine, before they get flooded with information off the internet that they cannot discern between a, a pizza gate and RBG, that, 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 that people think the people proposing Pizzagate are as authentic as Obama, uh, you know, that before they hit that world where everything seems equal and shit, we teach them neuropsychological humility. This is the way you interpret ideas. These are the errors you make. We tend to be biased towards things that confirm pre-existing beliefs. We tend to cherry pick data that supports, you know, our cultural beliefs. We, and neurology is not to be trusted. Our memory is not to be trusted. All this knowledge, right? We, that'd be really good, right? That'd be really cool. And I, and I think, so my rationalist solution to what I perceive to be the same problem as the one that you see is that what we can't do is do away with truth because as a group of sapiens of, of, clever primates, if we can't agree on a premise, we're fucked. And if we can't, and we will not agree on a premise if there's no such thing as truth. If we keep going, well, the world's a mystery, you know, we need something. So what is truth? What is the mystery? I think the mystery is a podcast called the truth. Wow. Good God. That's, I mean, even I don't remember that one. <laughs> Some of them have been uh, remo removed from my personal filing for to save me further embarrassment, Tim. But like, um, 
what I felt when you were saying that is that the, what defines a spiritual belief is truth, is a kind of a unified truth with all respect to various diversity and manifestations of that truth within individuals and with no imp externally imposed hierarchy upon that. Um, and I agree as well with the, your uh, constant, not constant or uh, frequent uh, reference to our uh, evolutionary origins, because I think that this must be respected what we were evolved for, the kind of communities we're evolved to live in, live in our inability to manage reality at the scale. The limitations of our perception. The limitations of our perception. Come with evolving in a three-dimensional, middle-sized world. Yes, yes. And the very idea that there are further dimensions and that, that that would not have a corollary in consciousness, that this would be the single example of consciousness beyond all, these, uh, beyond all, all of these dimensions, for me, seems like an unusual limitation to place on something that is without limit. That it's without limit in the micro, it's without limit in the macro. Well, like... A hundred years ago, we didn't recognize what was happening in the subparticular world. 300 years ago, we didn't understand what was happening in the universe. At the moment, we don't understand what's happening interdimensionally in terms of consciousness because of the limitations of our instruments. And I, I don't know if we ever will know more, if we ever need to know more. But what I will tell you it's is many of the... Way. Good, good. Well, well, there are limits there, clear limits. But, like, but like what, I, what, what I will say, mate, is that many of the things that one of the things that fascinates me most is the intersection between uh, your evident uh, devotion and passion for scientific understanding which to a degree i share and theological and doctrinal sort of mystery writings about oneness like in particular for example uh, Bag, the Bhagavad Gita and Vedic writing, where in sort of with the limitations of pre-technological society, mystics appear to be trying to write about the movement of energy, the impersonal nature of reality, a kind of interconnected oneness that is limitless in all directions. This this enchants me that people have always tried to understand this and have always connected this to a kind of morality. I don't think there's any point in sort of like ongoing monastic sort of uh, devotional practice if it don't mean you're not nice to people. Also, although their instinct is very human and still the same, they're wrong all the time, you know, that they're, they're constantly right in the larger sense that we have to, you, you know, there are ways you can look at ancient texts and go, oh, they were, they were stumbling towards the idea of a subatomic world, that we're made of elements that are all the same. And, you know, that, that we're made of smaller bits that have common elements and all that. Like they were stumbling and, but then they invented chi and they invented all these things that are not quite right, but they were not, particularly harmful until people forget to let go of them when we know more, you know, which is a really... Although chi or prana or Christ consciousness, these sort of recurring ideas of a sort of a, an essential force that underwrites material reality, I think is a helpful idea and one that may be further corroborated. And even at this particular zenith of knowledge, which is where we sort of always are, unless we sort of retreat into some, it's temporal and will be transcended and left behind and they will laugh at us. They will laugh at us. So, um, but like, I want to say this thing as well, and this is a sort of slight more controversial in that sort of uh, part of what you were saying a moment ago and you said the distinct distinction between pizzagate and obama pizzagate daft crazy silly ignorance obama 
drone strikes, Ferguson, uh, creation of a, a, a meaningless democratic space where the, the, your choice between the, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party is so dispiriting that in the end, the very kind of people in like my country, I imagine yours, and certainly in America, that ought be looking to socially just parties are disgusted and appalled by them. And the, from, from Clinton, Blair, Onwards, the people that have presided over that era, I say, bear more responsibility for cultural deterioration than the the most obnoxious and grotesque examples of right wing domination. I, I don't think so, but I, we won't get through that conversation. Um, uh, the reason I brought up Obama is because I know he's not uh, perfect or even good if you don't want him to be. The point is, Pizzagate is fantasy, and Obama is flaw. So you, you can, you can criticise Obama and you, we can have a big discussion about war. I mean, I don't ever want there to be war, but sapiens so far haven't been able to do diplomacy without weapons ever. So we all want to get to the point where we can, but no one's ever done good diplomacy without weapons sitting in the back shed going, and also, if we can't get to the end of this conversation, there's going to be weapons. I mean, sapiens are shit, and we all want to get past this period, this precipice we're sitting on with these fucking weapons, you know, and, and, and there's absolutely no doubt there's a really sort of utilitarian trolley problem ethical argument to be had about how you manage war and, you know, is it more moral to send a soldier to kill a soldier than to send a robot to kill a soldier and why and all that stuff. And I'm totally ill-educated about Obama's record, but Obama is an educated well-intentioned man with an incredibly difficult job and Pizzagate is made up from whole cloth. And if you can't tell the difference, or let's say Obama is a total cunt, but he's a total <laughs> cunt living in the real world. <laughs> if you need him, if you believe him to be, and you could convince me definitely that he's a terrible person, I doubt you convince me he's evil, but he did a terrible, terrible job. Um, that, that, that there, there is no equivalence between a completely made-up conspiracy theory and someone who's done a shit job. Not equivalence, actually, no. But, but in a sense, a connection. Because what I would know, I wouldn't argue that Obama was evil or terrible, any of those things. But I would say that the fact that the sort of difference in character between Trump and Obama is largely irrelevant if the systems don't significantly alter. If ultimately the same people suffer on the arse end of of ordinary democratic politics, creates a space where the imagination of ordinary people is somehow knows this is not the only reality we can live in the difference between this party saying we're going to create this kind of culture for you and this party saying we'll create this kind of culture that cannot be the sum total of possibility so people are susceptible to lunacy to madness because we have a yearning for the mystery because we know that from the dawn of our species and from the you know from when we were sort of whatever consciousness was behind single cellular entities from which we uh, arose or at least came who, who knows if it's an ascent or not that 
that we are continually bringing from the uh, we are manifesting from the unknown we are creating objects items fantasies wonderful musicals st starring little children based on the books of Rolda. all these things are coming from somewhere they're entering into reality and i don't like this limitation on imagination i don't like that we uh, deify figures of the sort of center left as if that's the best we can do when the results of their power is largely the same as people that we sort of get all rowdy about and put hats on for we need pied pipers we need leaders we need art and stories uh we need philosophy and outreach and communication and kindness to try and slowly step by step lead us out of the mire surely we agree on that uh, and I, I we can talk about I, politics is not my thing I, I i have feelings but i don't talk about it because i can't speak clearly about it the the false equivalences i will always point out and you, we should not shrug them off the idea that this completely bonkers idea or or that that having an ak47 is a shit idea but so is being allowed to oh fuck i don't know see i get lost i know what you mean i know what you there, mean there are there are shit ideas and there are shit ideas and there are shit shit ideas and okay ideas that haven't gone very well and there are kind people doing the best who fuck up and there are fucking psychopaths and sociopaths not in the majority by the way i do believe that mostly people are good and trying to do their best mm. i i am i don't what is a useful story about us that can help us act more in the interest of one another you would propose a useful story you might even propose it's a version of the truth but let's just let them be narratives for now you know useful stories you know as harari's talked about um um uh nationalism has been a useful story of togetherness uh um tribalism has been a useful story uh, money has been a useful story. I'll give you this amount of stuff, you give me that. It's been useful narratives that we all sign up to. What's another good useful narrative? You might say a shared universal consciousness or some idea of love. I don't know how you, how you apply that as a salve. And you're obviously trying to do that. You're obviously, and there are many people in the world trying through either creating political parties or starting religions or doing podcasts or standing up and speaking their truth, who are trying to find ways to say, guys, we have to be kinder to each other. We have to see ourselves as one mob in a tiny planet in the universe. And it's, we're a miracle. We are beautiful. We are, impossible that we exist how can we be so selfish and greedy if one person is starving we're all starving you know we agree with all of that i think the story to tell needs to be a little bit more accurate i um i haven't got a handle on what your i don't have it either but i i this is my discomfort or not discomfort but the reason i'm not I don't speak the way you do about these issues is because I don't think I'm going to pause because someone's at my door and this is a rental. So I have to do... <laughs> hold on. Tim's popped to his door now. And for those of you that are watching the clip, I can see his keyboard in the background and some copies of, I reckon it's his new album. And probably it's the kind of frame you'd want to mention to leave behind a sort of, the image of a quite a solitary person who 
cares primarily about his keyboard and creativity. I feel like he's signing for a package and out the door. I heard a, a female voice and now Tim returns. I guess the reason that, oh my God, I won't even explain that. I guess the reason we don't communicate about this in the same way is I have a, my wiring, my upbringing, my culture and the way I think about the world feels quite strongly and I can always have my mind changed, which is the nature of my world view is that new information alters my position is that esoteric ideas that allow for sort of a, a, a fluffy relativism where the words aren't easy to hold on to is, is not going to be a story that someone like I know how to follow the Pied Piper. I don't know how to follow you to the promised land of a better world with talk of spirituality and, and shared consciousness. It doesn't sit with me. I, I, my attempt, my humble, shitty little attempt is to make art that tells stories that help us navigate this stuff. So in the last few years, I've written a musical about how to find meaning in a Groundhog Day and trap and how to acquiesce to the, the, the inevitability of death and how to sit with discomfort and realise that happiness is about giving to other people. I've read a, written a TV show, co-written a TV show, which is about coming to terms with your own mistakes and self-forgiveness and realising that beauty of life includes all the scars and shit and that the manure of your errors is the fertiliser for future flowers to grow in. And I've written this album, which is a meditation on time and allowing for the passing of seasons and for facing the notion of your own death and wondering if one will be able to be peaceful when death comes. And it is basically trying, my work is trying to look reality in the face and let, let it stare back with all its harshness, with all its meaninglessness in my worldview and, and pointing out that it's still beautiful without, without any gods, without any greater consciousness, just us on this pale blue speck, just us incredibly evolved primates who are, I want to tell stories that evoke in people the better angels of their nature. And I want political leaders who ask of us to bring out the greater, the greater part of ourselves. And I want systems that oblige us to be more collective. And I want globalism to be a force for the understanding that humankind needs to be working together to face the inevitable problems of massive population on a small planet. And, and I don't feel any whole in my love for my family and my friends, my love of life, my coping with the fact that I just found out my mum's dying, my, uh, my dear friend dying a few weeks ago, this period I'm in right now is the hardest period of my life and I'm, I feel no whole. All I feel is a desire to hold my people close and keep telling stories about what it is to be a human. I don't, the words you use, although I, I'm a huge fan of you and admire your intelligence and I'm always interested. They don't make me go, yeah, fuck, that's what I'm missing. I'm just explaining what it is to be in a sort of rationalist brain, but a, a loving, arty one. Yes, yes. I'm sorry to hear about your friend. I'm sorry to hear about your mother, mate. Yeah, um, sure. Thank, drop. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying that. And uh, if you want us to take it out, of course, we'll take it out if you later decide that you're not comfortable with that. But if you do uh, leave it in, then um, I've, my, send my sympathy and my love to you because actually what I think about you, because we've spent a lot of our time sort of 
arguing is that I think you're fantastic and I think you're a beautiful person and I think that you are a force for good and I'm not surprised that you don't feel deficient because why would you you've created so many things that are fantastic I think you're a brilliant performer an exceptional writer a wonderful communicator and a, a very beautiful great person um and I'm and as we've been talking, what I've felt more and more is, I suppose that the reason I have a passion for this kind of discourse is that my sense is that we do feel the same thing, but have a different lexicon. And I want to, and um, uh, there will be inevitably people that are uh, 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 more attracted to the manner in which you communicate and some that find the way I communicate more appealing and countless, countless, countless other people. And I feel that, that, that all of us have to somehow find what it is that we agreed upon and like you said earlier, an agreed upon truth so that we can focus on communicating that and so that we can provide each other with as much comfort and love and support for this brief time that we're here and, and to, to have a, con like, so for me, that the, co the context that you and I keep reaching for, like, you know, that we are apes, that we're in limitless space in both directions, micro, macro, that, like for me that, that this means that our, our relationships with one another are, are, are primary, of primary significance, and that, that, that these bonds between us should, should be uh, revered. It's really all there is. Well, in yeah. our bond with other creatures. Yes. More and more, I feel like the greatest error of humankind is to not understand our bond with other living creatures, our, our superiority. But um, I, because I'm aware that this is about ending the conversation, um, which flew by, by the way. I, I wanted, I've been looking forward to talking to you because I, ha I am engaged in this conversation and I, and I agree. There'll be people who definitely go, oh, that, Russell speaks to what my feelings and Tim's more my, and there'll be people like, those guys are both wankers and, and that's all fine. That's the largest constituency. <laughs> Without a doubt. And I, I know that some people might think my, the way I talk is self-serving or, or egotistical or whatever, but I do think the target increasingly, and this is the difference between me when we met and me now, and I think it just comes with age and with authority of, not authority, with um, an increased platform and an increased sense of responsibility for what to do with that. I do think all these conversations are trying to work out, if not how to tell the same story, how to make sure we have analogues so what's Russell, and this is what I've been trying to do this last hour, what's Russell trying to say with this stuff that has an analogue? Because I'm not going to jump across the Zoom screen uh, tonight into, a, into your language. I'm, it's just unlikely given all my thinking I've done on this subject. But there's no doubt that, that you and I can tell the same story with two different sets of uh, terms and assumptions and come to the same conclusion. And that, that's got to be... That's got to be what everyone's trying to do all the time. And that is why American politics and British politics are so broken because people aren't trying to find commonality in their core beliefs and core aims for humankind. They're not even trying. It's become a game of oppositionalism and it's mm. fundamentally broken. And I don't know how. So we'll tune in next time for how Russell and Tim fix it.
I'd like to hear the album that you would create from it and I'm looking forward to hearing your album and I'll make sure that in the setup to this I tag it properly and I'm sure it's fantastic and I've got a link and I'll listen to it myself and this ain't coming out till November this whole podcast in order to um, you know for it to be appetite for your requirements but I'm, um, Tim thank you mate thanks for uh, thanks for coming on I hope I get to see you in the flesh again one day my, yeah I hope so too Tim thank you for coming on mate it's so it's lovely to talk to you it's, it's lovely to see your beautiful face good luck with everything good luck with your album thank you Russell lots of love to you mate take care take care well I hope you enjoyed that it was bloody good fun wasn't it it was a tr- tremendous conversation uh, thanks for listening to Under the Skin if you want to follow me follow me get on that mailing list if you like that go listen to Bill Burr number 147 Go and listen to Duncan Trussell, number 132. Go listen to Richard Key Gervais, number 129. And keep checking my YouTube channel daily for new videos. Thank you for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary. <laughs>